Well, I hope you've had a great weekend so far. We're, we're so grateful to have you with us today. We've been in a, a teaching series where we've been asking the question, why church? And in the year 2020, with all that you have at your disposal as it relates to technology, you can listen to the world's best preachers and best music in the comfort of your own home. Um, you know that your faith in Christ allows you to experience Him anywhere at any time. So why church? And, you know, I've been thinking about this as I've been talking to different people. I ran into a lady the other day at the grocery store. Um, her kids and one of my kids played on a, on a sports team together. And so we got talking. I believe that, that she's Anglican. She knows that I'm a minister. And so we were visiting in the grocery store. And she said to me, she goes, I, want you, I went to church on Sunday, which is, you know, her way because I'm a pastor. I, she knows I'm taking attendance of everybody's church habits around the city. I've got a clipboard. I marked her off. Okay, good. Um, but so she, she felt the need to tell me this. It was also her way of saying she had not been in church in a long time. And part of me was tempted just to say, okay, nice, and, and kind of move on from the conversation. But I decided to lean in a little bit. And so I asked her, I said, well, how was it? And she said, well, you know, it was, it was great. She says, now I can sleep in the next three Sundays and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> So I thought, there's a great answer. Why church? Because if you go once, you get three Sundays off for free, right? And then I ran into somebody not too, too long ago in the foyer of our church, and I would call them uh, the, the kind of person that attends at Christmas and Easter, usually. And uh, so I saw them coming into the foyer, and I thought, oh, you know, it's a long way from Christmas and Easter, both. Uh, so I said to them, hey, it's, it's great to see you here. And so we got talking, and then, then he said to me, he said, well, you know, I've got a big job interview tomorrow. And so I thought, maybe if I go to church on Sunday, it'll help increase my odds of actually getting the job. So I thought, okay, great. Well, why church? Because if you go to church, then God will give you more of the things that you want in life. This is another good answer, right? Well, we've been wrestling with this question. Why, why church? Why would we continue to gather like this as we do? Why is it that we call and continue to work on things that we work on together? We said in the first week, uh, the answer, why church? Because Jesus said so. That Jesus presents this vision of what it means to be the people of God. The word that he used in that passage is simply assembly. That we are a people who are assembled together, called to be his salt and light in the world. Last week, we looked at, the, at uh, the question, why church? And we said, because as the people of God, we need to learn from the word of God. That you and I cannot, we cannot all just bring our own ideas of what it means to be the church and try to hope to figure it out. But actually God's word instructs us and teaches us what it means to be his people. So we have to learn from the word of God so that we can be the people of God. And today is the one that I'm so excited to talk to you about. And I really have no idea how long this message is going to be because I've been writing it for weeks. And it goes on and on and on. But we'll, uh, we'll come to a conclusion at some point. But it's this, why church? Because the world needs hope. Because the world needs hope. As I've been preparing for this message, I've been reading a number of articles by non-Christian people wrestling with the question, is there a reason for hope? It's a great question. And I'm always inspired by people who are so positive and courageous. And if you read blogs or opinion pieces, you see especially that our younger generation is so determined to be hopeful. And when I read them, you see such a hunger for a reason and a purpose to be hopeful, to rise above all the chaos that we see in our world today. But inspiration and positive thoughts are not enough 
for hope. In order to have hope, it has to be linked or based on some certainty, some truth that we know it's going to happen. And that's the source of our hope. The musical band on the deck of the Titanic was positive and courageous. And they went down with the ship. It was not based on any certainty or any fact. Hope like faith is not a blind leap off a cliff, hoping that it all just works out in the end. For Christians, hope is based not on a positive thought, but on the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again, and that he's alive right now with you and I and each and every one of us in this room as we make our journey through life. And that is what we put our hope on. That is what our hope is linked to. It's the reason we can be hopeful. It's because of the person of Jesus Christ. Why church? Because the world needs hope. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus could not wait to tell people that there's an answer to this human question. Is there a reason for hope? One of the main reasons he called the church was to be a community where we who found the hope in Christ would share it with others. It started all the way back with the person of Abraham in the Old Testament when God called him to go and to be a blessing to the nations. That what you have discovered in hoping in me, I want everybody to know it's possible for them. We see it in God's picking Israel to be his people, a people who would live by his ways and his commands and model to the world that hope can be found. We see it at the end of Matthew's gospel when Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and make disciples of all the nations. What you have found in me, share that hope with the world. We see it on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on his people and sends them out no more sitting in the upper room praying. Go out into the world and take this hope. And let's be honest. The human heart is sinful and selfish. And you get a bunch of human hearts assembled together and the church can easily become a community of people that simply exist to do what we like and to do what we want. In Jesus' name, of course. Right? There tends to be two typical temptations for churches, our church, every church on planet earth, that when we get together and when we assemble, that number one, we're tempted just to kind of leave out the details, to water down the truth of scriptures and say, look, let's just be a lot of nice people who do nice things. We won't worry about Jesus being the son of God. We won't worry about salvation and the cross and all of that stuff. We'll just leave that to the side. It might be, not everybody might like that message. We'll just be nice people. That's not our calling. The other temptation is that we just live here as a holy huddle on the hill, that this is God's spiritual evacuation plan. Get away from the awful world, run into the church, lock the doors, and we'll hang out here until Jesus comes back. That's the other temptation. And again, the scriptures, when we submit ourselves to their teaching, will pull us away from both of those each and every time. There's a passage in the New Testament that captures beautifully our calling to be a people of hope. And it kind of gives us a behind-the-scenes peek about how, what it looks like when it happens. And so I'm going to read it for you this morning. It's found in Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 1 to, uh, 1 to 4. Acts chapter 17, verse 1, 1 to 4. This is the story of Paul and Silas visiting the city of Thessalonica. I want you just to listen to this description about what it looks like and, and hear how it plays out. When they'd passed through Amphipolis, I did not get that word right in the first service, I can guarantee it, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was 
his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. This is the story of Paul and Silas coming to this community, speaking first of all to a Jewish audience where his main message was around the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah. These are important facts in the gospel message. But did you notice who responds? There were some Jews who responded, some Greeks or Gentiles, and some prominent women, likely business people. Now, this is not normal. In the Jewish faith, Jews and Gentiles did not hang out. And the Jews had a whole list of reasons why you should never come in contact with a Gentile person. Men and women did not hang out in this way. Women in this day were not seen as equals. They were not allowed to join these religious gatherings. But when the gospel is shared, the walls come down. And Jews and Gentiles and women come together and they discover the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, then the story goes completely sideways. Uh, Paul and Silas have to flee for their lives and leave town. The people who'd been hosting him in their home get dragged and put in jail and have to spend their own cash to get released from jail, kind of just a normal day at church. Um, but this is what happened in this story. So you have this brand new ecclesia, this new assembly of believers, some Jews, lots of Gentiles, and some prominent women. And Paul leaves, and a beautiful community is born. Well, what happens to them? Paul would later write two letters to this church, the letter of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And if you go back and read chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, you'll hear Paul describe this church in Thessalonica this way. The church had grown. It had exploded. These people who first heard this message of hope received it and they shared it with everybody. And they continued to see more and more people from Jewish and Gentile, and females, and male, every, coming together and becoming part of this church. In fact, he says this to them, your faith in God has become known everywhere. You are a model to all the believers in the surrounding area from this little original group of faithful followers of Jesus. What a compliment. Wouldn't that be what we would want the Lord, the people to say about our congregation and every congregation? that we receive this gospel message. We've found this hope, and we're sharing it with others, and people all around the region are encouraged to be faithful to Christ because they see what God is doing in our own midst. This is what Jesus envisioned when he envisioned the church, a people who found hope, sharing hope with the world. So what did Paul and Silas do that made their ministry there so effective? How did they do it that these people heard the message, received it in such a way, and it became transformational, not just only in their church, but for the region? Well, let me put First Thessalonians 2 verse 8 on the screen, and I want us to read it together because we find here really some powerful, powerful words that I want to spend a few moments talking about. So we're going to read this out loud. I'm anticipating uh, you'll do like the first service. The first reading was a little tepid, so I made them do it again. So if you want to just read this once... Give her out. You can read it in whatever language you so choose. Let's read this together. 
So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Pass. Good work. We loved you. We shared the gospel with you. And we shared our lives with you. I just want to talk about those things for a few minutes here this morning. They loved the people with the love of Christ. We loved you so much. We share hope with others in the same way Christ shared hope with us. He loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. This was the calling Jesus gave to this community to love one another. And as you and I become, think of wrestle about becoming people of hope, it must start with love. Paul loved these Jews who grew up in believing certain things and had certain religious traditions. He could identify with how hard it was because he'd experienced it himself. He knew it was a stretch for them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he'd been resurrected. But he loved them through this. He loved these Greeks who knew so few of the Jesus stories, but listened and asked questions and wrestled with them. He loved watching them open their hearts to the gospel and experiencing the grace of God as Paul had done himself. He loved these prominent women who had been allowed to be part of a religious community for the very first time. Can you picture Paul telling these ladies about Mary who kind of financed Jesus' ministry and telling them that the very first person ever to see the risen Christ face to face was a woman? This was this ecclesia, this assembly of people. And it says that Paul loved them. If we as River Cross Church want to be a message of hope with our city, and dare we dream that even beyond that, we need to ask the Lord to give us a heart for others. People are not projects, they're not church Sunday morning statistics. We must ask God to grow our hearts, that we would see them as he sees them people whom he created and loves. And it starts by remembering that when Jesus first showed up on the scene in our lives, we had a lot of unlovable stuff going on, and yet he loved us anyways. And this commitment to loving people with God's love becomes the foundation of a church, the foundation of an assembly of God. Just look around this room this morning and kind of pick somebody to look at. And say this, if God could love them, he could love anybody. Just find someone, look at them. If God could love them, he could love anybody. Would you ask the Holy Spirit today to grow your heart with love for people? It's the starting to sharing hope. Secondly, they shared the gospel. Paul and Silas articulated the good news of Jesus, that he was the Messiah who'd been resurrected. This was not just some hippie feel-good love commune. There were certain truths that the community had to wrestle with before choosing to follow Jesus Christ. This is true of all of us. We must wrestle with the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God. He comes to us and he offers us salvation, that we must die to ourselves in order to experience his life in us, that Jesus is resurrected and living among us even today and that we can trust him. Now, for some of you, I know you think this is the part where people tend to typically walk away from the church. When we get down to beliefs, that the reasons people aren't interested in church is because of our message. That they, you know, there can't just be one way to salvation and one way to heaven. And I understand that. 
But I think we're living in a time more than ever when we need to be able to articulate the truth of the gospel so that people can wrestle with it themselves. I chose to greatly discourage myself this week by reading the most recent report on the church in Canada. Um, It's not the most encouraging read, as you might have imagined. Let me just share some statistics with you. Over half of Canadians claim to be agnostic, atheist, unreligious, or religious nuns, which is they have no religion. Over 50% of Canada. Only 11% of Canadians attend a worship service on Sunday. And this is all religions, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Jews, everybody. All add up all those people together and you get 11%. The people are leaving the church today. And we often hear about millennials, the younger generation, but he actually, in the, the research says that the number one demographic leaving the church today is actually baby boomers. Interesting. But there was two bright spots, and I want to share them with you this morning. One of them might be a little bit difficult for some of us to hear. First is this, that the church is experiencing renewal in Canada, but it's experiencing renewal from Christians coming to Canada from other parts of the world. Their words, not mine, because they're more committed to faith than Canadian Christians typically. That the church in Canada is experiencing renewal as, people, as God brings people to our country from other areas, and we experience it right here at River Cross. The second statistic is just fascinating to me, that 20% of Canadians are open to be invited to at a religious event. That's way higher than I had expected, to be honest. That means about 15,000 people in St. John today would have been open to coming to church with us. They're open to spiritual things, religious things. That we have a whole new generation of people who are growing up, they don't, never, they don't know anything that goes on in here. They've never been to a church. They don't know about churches. They have no clue. So let's ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us to people who are in this category. Why church? Because we're surrounded by people who find life difficult and confusing. And they find the message of our culture, which sounds so easy, but they find it to be untrue. Believe what you want, do what you want, and it'll all work out in the end. They're smarter than that. They know life does not work that way. And in a time when people are claiming to be agnostic, atheists, we need to know more than ever how to articulate the hope of Christ that is in us so that people can hear it and wrestle with it for themselves. Sometimes when I talk to this about people, people will say to me, but Pastor Rob, people don't like to hear about sin in our culture anymore. And I understand what you're saying, but I couldn't disagree with you more. When I visit with people who are wrestling with faith, one of the things that they are trying to figure out is what do I do with all this stuff that's going on inside me? My regrets, my shame, my remorse. Give me a solution for this. And for them to know that God has drawn near to them, has taken their sin and brokenness upon himself and dealt with it once and for all and offers them a brand new beginning is good news to people. Sharing the gospel with people does not mean having to change it because the gospel has power. I love Peter's words in 1 Peter 3.15. He says this, Make sure that, you, in your, that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. Asks you about the hope you have. Be ready to give a reason for it, but do it gently and with respect. 
I don't think there could be any more timely words for our generation. The gospel has power. It speaks to the very human need that each of us have, wrestling with the question, where will I find hope? Finally, they opened their lives to them. These Christians opened up their hearts and their lives to the people that they were loving. I'll tell you, when I read this part of the verse, I had two reactions. The first is that if we as a church could figure out how to live this way, it would have the greatest impact in our day for sharing Christ with people. Not just kind of throwing gospel tracts out the car window as we drive by, hoping someone reads them and finds faith on their own. It's opening up our lives to people because so much of faith is caught and observed up close. If you talk to missionaries, this is what they would say, that you move into a community, you welcome people into your home, you get to know them, they ask about your faith, you talk about it, they wrestle with it, and they make decisions for faith. My other thought about this is this is going to be the hardest part for us in the church today to get our minds around. The true evangelism, true mission really requires us to open up our lives to people. I think that we see these first, we think, yes, I can love people, yes, I can share the gospel with people, but can't we just invite them to a program? Can't we just give them an invitation to go to some event at the church and the church will do that? Friends, we are the church. And any program or any ministry that we run is simply an excuse to get people in a room so that we can share life together. What Paul is talking about here and what he and Silas lived out was opening our lives so that people could see the hope that is within us up close and personal. How do you treat your wife? How do you raise your kids? How do you spend your money? How do you talk about your neighbors? What do you watch on Netflix? And please don't miss that as they did this, no one looked at the church and called it an institution or an organization. It was being the gathered assembly of God. If you were to ask me, Rob, where at Rivercross are you seeing people finding new faith and making choices to get baptized and surrender their life to Jesus? And I would say it's in places where others are opening up their lives and welcoming them in. It's in those corners and those places where people are making room for people and sharing their life with them. My friends, your friends, our neighbors, co-workers might be interested in hearing a well-articulated gospel but they want to see the difference that it makes in our lives. And can we be really honest for a second? Maybe one of the reasons people aren't interested in faith is because they aren't really seeing a difference in our lives. It was interesting to me as I was reading through this passage and on Paul visiting Thessalonica, it said that they were holy and blameless and righteous. Paul would be the first to say that I'm the worst sinner in town, but they worked really hard to make sure that they were giving witness to the Lord. I'm going to make the worship team to come back up at this time. We're going to finish off here today. I'm going to call you to commitment this morning. We are the church. We are the assembled people of God in this location. And God has called us to be his hope to people here. We can't escape it. You can't avoid it. It is our privilege as God's people to accept that responsibility and opportunity. So today I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. And I want to speak to those of you today who would say that you're Christians. If you're not a Christian here today, you can just cross your arms and say, glad I'm not that because they got work to do. 
I'm going to get you in a minute when we close in prayer just to raise your hand. I know we're Baptists, so I won't get you to raise it too high. And I'm going to get you to put up one finger, two fingers, or three fingers in kind of your way of signifying, God, this is where I need you to be at work in my life today. Number one, would you ask the Lord to grow your heart and grow your heart for other people? Would you ask the Lord that he would give you a burden for lost people, people who are floundering in the dark and wondering if there's any hope? Would you ask the Lord to give you a burden for people that it breaks your heart when you hear people talking about their life and you realize how lost they are? Grow your heart. Second, some of you need to prepare your, te- your testimony or your talk about your faith. If someone bumped into you at work tomorrow and asked you about your weekend and you told them you went to church, you'd say, hey, why do you go to church? Why are you a Christian? What would you say? Each of us should be ready to articulate the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. To explain to them that he has become our rescuer, the forgiver and the leader of our life. Some of you today need to go home and schedule some time and sit down and kind of figure out what would I say given that opportunity. And I'll say to you this morning that if you do that, look out. Because the Lord is going to draw somebody to you and going to prompt you through his Holy Spirit and you're going to say, this is, this is my moment. I get to share this. Number three, some of you need to open your life to someone who's in your world who needs to hear and needs to know that there's a God who has come and loves them. This is going to require opening your calendar, opening your front door, maybe opening your wallet a little bit and making space for someone in your life who's wondering, is there hope? And they want to see it, what it looks like lived out. So this morning as we pray, I'm just going to get you to lift up your hand. And you can just raise one, two, or three, depending on kind of where you feel the Lord is speaking to you today. And I'll just say this before we pray. If we can learn to love people, if we can learn to share the difference that Christ has made in our lives, and if we can open up our lives and make room for people, the question, why church, will disappear. Let's pray. God, this morning, would you fill our hearts with your love? that there would not be one person that we would ever look at with disdain or prejudice or frustration. But God, we would just see one of your children made in your image whom you love. God, would you grow our hearts so that we have the capacity to love people even beyond anything we could have imagined. That we'll catch ourselves getting caught emotionally looking at folks and just wanting them to know you more than anything. And Lord, today would we be disciplined enough to think about and to be able to articulate the difference that you've made in our lives and the hope that we have. That we would take some time, God, and just sit down and write down an outline, a paragraph of how we would answer the question, where do you find hope? Lord, and some of us today are being asked to open up our lives and to make room for someone at our table, in our car, at the coffee shop. God, would you just give us clarity about who that is and give us the courage to do it. For you opened up your lives to us and welcomed us in. Lord, today I just think about anybody who might be here who has maybe never found hope. God, would you just 
light a fire in their own hearts and would you speak to them clearly today and let them know that they can follow you, that their yes to you will be the greatest decision they've ever made. And we pray this in Christ's name.